One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome back to the Sofa Cinema Club. This is episode number 11. I'm Cole Smith and as always I'm joined by Jack P. Shepard, Ben Price. The Sofa Cinema Club is our podcast where we get together and we educate each other on films. Now it's all about the films we should have seen but we haven't. Each week one of us sets a film for the others to watch and then we come into the studio and we talk about what we loved, hated and rated. Now the beauty of our film club is that anybody can join in. All you have to do is watch along with the film at home and then join us every Thursday. This week's film has been picked by Jack and Ben, and it is Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. But before we get into talking about the film, obviously it's a special day. It's Thursday, the 14th of January. Yep. Which, why is this a special day? It's my birthday. Happy birthday. I think this is the first birthday I've had on the podcast, isn't it? I think it's any, first anyone's birthday. No, we've no, had you, yours. You had, you had a birthday. Did I? I'm so old, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so many. We brought you that you, cake. Cake. Do you remember? Cake and wine gums in studio. Oh, yes. Yeah. I do remember. I do. Yeah. Uh, second birthday, but your first on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so a massive, you're going to have a massive do. Massive do, yep. How many people are you going to invite? Well, I've got the... Um, I've got the Parisian ballet stars coming over and flying them in. <laughs> They're doing the full show. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Outside, though, not in. Outside. You know what I mean? With masks on. Not in. Yeah, so a bit of a lockdown birthday for you there, Shep. Yeah, I mean, well, my birthday's always depressing anyway, because it's January, isn't it? No one's got any money. Oh. It's dark. Oh. Uh, it's cold. Yeah. Um, and everybody keeps their distance, usually. Actually, do you know what? You're right. I do feel a bit depressed now you're saying all that. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. you not change it like the Queen? Happy <laughs> birthday! <laughs> but I don't mind that. I have always I have always liked that about my birthday, that everybody keeps their distance in January. Well, they have to keep their distance well, for they have to various now, don't reasons. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, they have so. to now. And it was my daughter's birthday on the 13th. Ah, there we go. I, I don't think I'm going to tell her the depressing part of it. <laughs> yeah. I think she's still quite into the birthday. Well, it's just because it's right after Christmas, isn't it? No one's got any money. I know you. No one's got any double presents. Not really. Yeah, yeah not really. You wait till you see what Ben's bought you. It, he's, he's, gone, he's gone all the stops this year, he yeah. has. It will never fit in the pants. I was amazed. <laughs> they won't be able to deliver it. <laughs> what else have you been up to? Nothing. I have literally done Nothing. <laughs> 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 People listen to this podcast for the banter, don't they? But I'm I'm getting upset and annoyed with myself that I can't think of things to do. 
to keep me occupied. It's just the boredom. Day to day, you get dressed, you, you probably wash. Yeah, I do all that. Then what are you up to after that? If I don't have anything podcast related to do, I'll sort of just mince around on my phone for a bit. Go to the supermarket. Play dominoes. Yeah. Play, play games on my phone, you know. So lockdown number one, obviously, for Jack, was all about Lego. Yeah, I had that. Lockdown number two was all about Assassin's Creed. So we need to find something for lockdown number three, don't we? But you've been slightly out into the video game world, haven't you, in lockdown three, Coulson tells me. Yeah, I've been on Grand Theft Auto. I've relived them. Ah, well, there you go. That's 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 it. You've you've got your head down there. I know, but it's just a bit sad in it playing a game. You want to sort of like accomplish something. A game you've already played. A as game well. you've already played. <laughs> yeah, write a film. Yeah, a work of art or learn yeah. an instrument. What did you do? I learned how to rob a bank. Yeah, fictitiously. <laughs> you do need something. You need a hobby. People need to send in on one of those social things what Jack can do. Yeah. But also, you're the same, Colts. You had your running, and now that's gone. What are you doing? <laughs> now you've, now you've given down. that up. Drag him down while you're low, Jack. He's, <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's not easy to live with at the moment. We've got the home gym. That was the big news, we, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, right. I, I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a lot actually going on for me. But I, I'm exactly the same as you, Jack. I think we represent most of the population. Like, Ben's fine. Ben's got work. Me and you at the moment, we're sat at home. We've not got any work on. Yeah. There's fuck all to do. It's lockdown. So for me, we've built a home gym in the flat, me and Ben. So we no longer have a living room. Oh, The okay. flat, it's, it was already a small flat. We've got a kitchen. We've got two bedrooms and a gym, which is all you need, really. You don't need a sofa. Not much room in the sauna. <laughs> Always open. And ben, Ben's complaining about the membership prices at the gym. Yeah, I went, <laughs> there's no pool and he went, the keys. It's way too cold. It's a fortune, this gym. There's only two members, though, and the cafe's good. Um, but that's quite a thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's hard mentally after a while, isn't it? I said to Ben yesterday that I was really, really finding it rough just because you can't see people. There's nothing to do. And obviously, for me, last year, a big part of my life became running mm. and I, at the moment, I've lost the ability to run. To be fair, my foot is feeling better and better every day and I'm seeing a specialist tomorrow. So like, hopefully that is on the way back. But finding stuff to do in life and that feeling of being productive, that's the feeling that you can't quite get. That's why it's so great to come on and do the podcast. Um, but the home gym has meant that I can at least feel like I've accomplished something with my day. Something. Yeah, that's good. Something. That's good for you. Because you don't even exercise really, Jack, do you? No, I don't do that. Do you get down, Jack? No, I don't get down. As in what? Miserable? No, yeah, a bit like, oof. Yeah, down. No, I wouldn't say down. I'm just, I'm a little bit pissed off at myself that I can't think of something to yes. do. Yeah, That's all it is. I'm just, frust- I'm just like, come on. It's that constant cycle, isn't it? Yeah, I should be able to do something creative and I can't, I can't really think of anything. Yeah. Whereas the first lockdown, I, I, I dicked about on Instagram, didn't I? Creating scenes from films and stuff like that and the Lego and all that. But I can't really think of anything now. It's hard now, isn't it? I've blown my guns. That's what I've done. Yeah. You've made the Taj. Yeah. And that's once in a lifetime. And it's dark. It's a bit cold. We're into the third one. I've got writer's block. That's what I've got. 
<laughs> the block is you haven't even started. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even written anything. My suggestion for you, which would be really useful, is get yourself on the Open University and do a course in something like joinery or something like that, because that would come in really handy and we'd all be able to utilise that skill. Get Get yourself a qualification. I'm not really interested in that. I, I, I would like to know how to play the piano. But that sounds to me, Shepard, like you just like to know how to play it. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to practice. Yes. Not, I don't give a shit about that. Yes. I just, yeah, I'll tell you what you want. You want the Matrix. Can I skip to the end? <laughs> I want the Matrix. Right, I'm going to sit in the chair. You can play, I can play piano. <laughs> yes. What did Jack do in lockdown? He bought a level eight qualification. Didn't have any lessons, <laughs> just bought the qualification. Wouldn't that be mint if you just download a chip? Yeah. And plug it in. Oh, look at that. Imagine how oh. good that would be, as if you just decide what you want to do and it's done. I know plumbing. God, it would have made last year a hell of a lot easier with the weight loss, wouldn't it? It would have saved me a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah. I'll buy it. <laughs> you just buy it. Ah, I know weight loss. Yeah, it's hard, I think. I think a lot of people are finding that now, aren't they? And the fact you can't really go and see anyone, even really see anyone outside, yeah, it's not easy. Have you got a story to lighten us up, Ben? Got to lighten the mood here. And here we go, straight off with uh, a COVID story. Had a COVID test. Thank you. Uh, Walked straight in to, you have to wear a mask, don't you, and all that. And then the person on the desk has to wear a mask. And they walked straight in, she coughed. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, is this a test? And And I was like, have I now got it? Have I not got it? And then... I go in and I get it, and then you get tested. Um, <laughs> went in. I, I don't think she saw the humour in that. I was up behind the mask. Yeah. My head had gone, <laughs> and it was one of those quick tests. It's not. It's like a private test where they, at fifteen minutes, they tell you whatever. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, quite good. Anyway, so right. the nurse comes round. She comes round, spies me straight off. She knows who I am. Hey, Nick. Hey, Nick. Come for your test. You got the COVID? Well, no, I don't think I have, but I'm here. I just need to check quickly. But the person at the desk did cough. Uh, (laughs) They must have tests every 10 seconds, mustn't they? They must every morning come in and go, oh, I'll just have a test just in case. So she was really good. She was, I mean, it's bloody clever. They open it all up. You do it yourself and you get like a long thing, earbud. Mm. And then... It's either throat or nose. Now, what would you have? Throat or nose? Throat. Ooh. See, I've ha- I've had a COVID test, uh, but I, I I had to do both on mine. And because I've done both, I'm going to say nose. How far up your nose, though? Are you talking Egyptian hook? What's an Egyptian hook? You're going to have to elaborate. They used to pull people's brains out with a hook, the Egyptians. You don't know that? <laughs> Come I don't on. think. I don't think it was that far because you just you'd, you'd have the test. You wouldn't be bothered about the result. Because... Maybe that's what you could do, Jack. Maybe you should do a history qualification. <laughs> Actually, do like Jack history, P. Shepherd, to be actor fair. and history lecturer at yeah. the University of Manchester. <laughs> I also play piano. <laughs> <laughs> so you stick it up. She said, "You've got to stick it up." Uncomfortably high. Oh god! So your eyes are watering, so it stops, and then you twiddle it round. Because I think a lot of these things is getting is doing it right, isn't it? Yeah. Right up, 
Ching, eyes watering, onions, straight off. <laughs> she gets the Q-tip, puts it into solution. She goes, right, I've got a time two minutes. I mean, it's all properly done. And then she says, I'm going to put it onto this thing. And it looks like a little test, a little line. And you'll get one line, test is right. Two lines, you've got it. If you don't see a second line, you haven't got it. Right, okay. It's a bit like... Pregnancy test. Yeah, I suppose it it's sounds a bit like, like a pregnancy. Yeah. test. Yeah, it's a bit like a pregnancy test. But that that has an element of joy in it. This is depending on the answer. <laughs> yeah, this is like oh, if I've, if I've got, it, I, d- I mean, I really didn't think I had, but I thought if I have, you know, you could be asymptomatic, could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah, and you're like oh, okay, oh, anyway, she said, yeah, oh, line's fine, test worked. Uh, you haven't got it. Mm. I went oh. <laughs> that was it <laughs> off to work then you'll say so- sorry for wasting your time sorry for- <laughs> but look better to be safe than sorry isn't it and you know you've got to check these things out i wonder if you had it and what her reaction would be instantly knowing that you've got it whether it'd be like that monster's ink you know when there's that sock on that <laughs> night <laughs> we got a 221 yeah 221.15 and all that suddenly the shield comes shield down. comes everyone we've runs got a in. hot one yeah. oh, get him get, get him, him. Get. what happened to Ben he's been locked in Bristol Hospital because <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing it there's a two minute chat window so she's got to wait and she was like oh off back to the street. Oh, I went, right. well, I don't know. We don't know, do we? I'm, I'm going to find out in two minutes. <laughs> well, we are racing through series three of the Sofa Cinema Club. Like I said, episode 11 already. So it is it is flying by. It's already our most successful series by a country mile. So thank you for listening to us in lockdown. Yes. And do write a review and put those stars because it does help. So seeing as Jack is... Now a history lecturer, or at least is going to be studying oh, to be no, a history lecturer. On me. And you know a lot about the Holocaust being a history lecturer. I'll help you out, Jack. I'll Why don't you do the synopsis for Schindler's List? Okay, uh, synopsis for Schindler's List. I think you can go really simple on this. Yeah, I am going to. Definitely. Yeah. Just you because watch. Because you could go the other way. No, I'm not going to. as long as the film. No, I'm not going to. I'm not Three gonna. hours, so for Cinema Club. <laughs> Okay, go. Synopsis, Schindler's, Schindler's List, try and Ooh, say it, put my teeth in. Say it again. Um, follows uh, a businessman, a member of the Nazi party, Oskar Schindler, um, in Poland at the time of the Second World War. And he comes up with a plan to run a business employing uh, Jewish people. And that's it. His sort of goal is to make money, and become rich from, uh, obviously, the war that's going on around him. And he sort of learns halfway through the film that he can save these people if they sort of work for him. Ish. I mean, that's all right, isn't it? Very good. Very good. It's hard to do a synopsis of something that is three hours and 20 minutes, isn't it? But I think you've done a good job there. That's all right, yeah. Should we talk about the runtime? Because it is a long film. It's a big one. As soon as you two text me, and, and obviously I was watching it on my own at the flat, and you two text and said, it's three hours and 15 minutes. Mm. I thought, oh, I better make a start to it then. Yeah. Long. That's got to be one of our longest films, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I yes. think so. Certainly. Good, the bad and the ugly, probably up there. I think and that was two hours 50, good, bad and the ugly. 2001 is 240, I think. Yeah, I fell asleep in that, though, so it doesn't count. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was, it was 15 minutes for you. <laughs> Is it a short film, 2001? <laughs> yeah, it's a big film. But there's a lot to cover. He's covering the war. Yeah. The whole war, really. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary as a film that you set out to cover the war. A story that, you know, spans the whole of the war and takes you through the ghettoization of the Jews into Auschwitz, into their extermination, into the liberation. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. amazing piece of filmmaking. I first watched this film when I was in school. At school, yeah. So I studied history at GCSE. It was one of the options that I took. And in year 10 and 11, the big topic that I got tested on in the end was the rise and the fall of Nazi Germany. So there, there was a massive, obviously I studied a lot about the Holocaust. And I remember watching this film and when you two said last week that we were going to watch it, the only bit that I could remember was him on the balcony shooting people. That was the one bit that stuck with me. So it was almost like watching the film afresh. Because when you watch something in school, you don't really watch it, do you? You're having a little look at that girl. You're seeing what she's doing, what she, you know... You're texting. You're texting. Swapping pencils. What's that mean, swapping pencils? It was football stickers in my day. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to swap a pencil? Yeah. What you got? Two B. What have you got? <laughs> four Four H B. Oh, okay. So it was 1993, was it? Yeah. So when was the first time you watched it then, Ben? Cinema release? Oh, crikey, that's a good question. Yeah, I was at started drama school. Yeah, cinema. It was uh, captivating, really, the way it shot. It's extraordinary, all in black and white. Mm. And the look he gets, he gets that documentary look out of the film to make it look like... Real footage. Yeah. When I watched it in school, I just watched it as a black and white movie and I thought it was about history. So I didn't really pay attention to it as a film. Yeah. Now watching it from the eyes for the podcast and after being educated by you two for the last, you know, two years... Yeah. It's a completely different film that I watched yesterday. Obviously, it's it, it it's in it, it's its choice to be in black and white. Which the first time I watched it, I never realised, and I didn't quite realise about the cast. So I saw everything differently. Like, yeah, I mean, Voldemort has always been a baddie in my life, always for many reasons. Now I don't think I'll watch Harry Potter the same because he's even worse than. But my- a complete unknown at the time, both were, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. All three of them as well, British actors, aren't they? Yeah, to not have that big star at the front of it. And I think that's what they wanted, but Spielberg wanted someone you wouldn't know. And I think that makes the film even more powerful. So let's talk more about the plot of the movie. Yeah. The first bit that like really got me and paid attention to me was when they're in the dance hall. And you kind of meet Oscar Schindler for the first time, don't you? Yeah. You see a very well-dressed, smart young man who kind of just is a... He's, he, he doesn't fit in in the crowd he's in. He's in a crowd with Nazi soldiers and he looks like a businessman. He looks slick. And he does a very clever thing of getting people's attention. And he works that first general over to his table, doesn't he? By buying him a drink, getting the guy to come over, pulling him a chair. It's just smooth and it's very slick. And as soon as I was watching that, I was like, that's clever. Mm. He Instantly, you know that he's a clever character. And then by the end of that party, there's that shot of the other 
soldier walking in and his table has gone from him being sat on it on his own to having yeah. 30 people on there singing dancing you know and basically he has paid his way in the hierarchy of like the nazi party hasn't he yeah it's the charisma that he's got isn't it and also the war is about to start and there's money to be made he knows there's money to be made out of war and those guys are going to be the ones that are going to hand out all the contracts mm. for him to make certain things. Big, big money. He has that great line later on in the film. It's probably it's probably a good hour and a half, two hours into the film. But he says, I think it's to his wife. He says, there's three things wrong with the businesses that I've tried to do before. There's three reasons that they failed. He says, reason one's this, reason two's that. And reason three is there wasn't a war. And it's like... From that, you know, he has profited from the war. He has worked out a plan of how he isn't going to go and fight. He's going to get rich. And he knows how he's going to do it. And then that's what kind of makes the film stumble into something so beautiful, really. Because his sole intention is to make money, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Also, you realise when the Jews are taken and ghettoised and taken out of their houses... He immediately takes one of their houses, doesn't he? One of yeah, their flats. Yeah, at the beginning, yes. With their stuff in. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because you see a Nazi soldier and you see them like that and you're thinking, is he tricking them? Is he repulsed? Because I'm repulsed. Yeah. And he's not. No. He's being friendly to them, drinks, they end up singing. He's very level, isn't he? He doesn't, he doesn't cringe at what they do. No, because I suppose at the, at the start now... He's like treating them, well, you're going to be the ones that are going to pay me. But then when the way he walks in and sits on that, lies on that bed, mm. and they've just been taken out of that flat, it's a, it's a huge film, but it's a huge move in a character, isn't it? It's massive that he is completely and utterly making money out of war and death. Yeah, so he, he comes up with this idea, doesn't he, to to run a factory making pots and pans. The problem he's got, he's got no money. No. So he's got no collateral at all, has he? That's what you get. He's a spiv in a way. He's got the suit, he's got the smile, but he ain't got the backing. Yeah. And he knows that the businessmen that are in the ghetto do have money. Yes. I like that bit where they obviously can't do business in the ghetto. It's, you know, war is happening and they only know it's going to get worse. And he has that scene where he walks into the church, doesn't he? Yeah. And they're all doing business. It's a Catholic church. Yeah. Very, very clever. They're all doing their business in the church. Yeah. And he sits there and he turns around and he says, where can I get a shirt like that? And everybody leaves. And that's kind of when he starts to suss out where he's going to make his money, what he's going to do. And he quite quickly comes across Ben Kingsley's character, doesn't he? Well, he needs somebody to do the books, doesn't he, in the running of the factory. And a contact. Yeah. He needs an in, doesn't he? Yeah. With the money people. So he speaks to Ben Kingsley and he says, the people in the ghetto, they're going to bring me the money. The Jewish people living there, they're going to pay to work in my factory. I'm going to give them a job and I'm going to pay them in like pots and pans and, and things like that, doesn't he? So they're buying the company, but they're not getting the company. They're not paying to work. They're paying to live, basically. Yeah. And he basically says, um, money's going to get you nowhere now. It's all about trade. 
because life is about to change. And obviously, this is a, a tough one, but you couldn't imagine in them ghettos like what was to come in the state of war, could you? Because you only knew so much from like the news and the radio, and like for them, it's a complete gamble, and it's a you know, it's almost an trying to do a deal with the devil is what it, it seems like. But he, he gets his business going. Yeah, he employs about 350 people, doesn't he? And basically, they get a pass to those Jewish people that because they work for a German, for a Nazi, they're seen as his Jews. So he owns them. So they're not allowed to be, you know, sent to Auschwitz or anywhere else or even executed. They, they're Schindler's Jews, so they work for him. But they go through that bit with Ben Kingsley's character redefining what people do so people come up and say they're musicians or artists and he goes no you're not you're a metal worker you need to have a skill to survive to survive and make stuff for the war effort because that's the other thing i suppose especially in auschwitz or these other camps these labor camps is you have to make stuff for war you have to make munitions you have to make tanks you have to make uniforms and you need someone to do it and you need a workforce. So he's sending pots and pans. Then in the end, it, he goes into munitions for the war effort, doesn't he? So yeah. all of the people in there change what they did for a living into metal workers. Or So the big changing point of the film is when you meet um, what Voldemort plays who? <laughs> Anon Goff. So when Anon Gov comes to Krakow, Voldemort, <laughs> Voldemort. <laughs> I might have to call him Voldemort. Imagine that. If you imagine if you ever met him and went, Voldus, <laughs> how are you doing, pal? All right, mate. It's Colson <laughs> from from Corrie. But I'm sure that is fact, Ben. I'm sure yeah, out of all yeah. the roles he's ever played, yeah, you're right. And you know the numerous times whatever he's been nominated for an Oscar for other parts and other films. I'm sure he's known as Voldemort wherever he goes. Of course he is. But when his character comes into the film, that's when it's that gear change because in a weird way, Schindler has got everything working the way he wants it to work. He's making money. Ben Kingsley's character is happy because he's starting to realise the bigger picture. But stuff seems to be working all right for both parties. And then the spanner in the works is his character coming in and basically building a concentration camp. Well, the war changes, doesn't it? The look of war changes and becomes more streamlined. So they set up a lot of camps and these camps, production camps. So he's accelerating their production, taking them out of the ghetto. And there's that awful, there's those awful scenes where they're riding the horses and they yeah he's it. sort of riding he takes people out of their houses oh when it's, it's the liquidation i think they call it of yes uh, of the ghetto isn't it of the ghetto yeah. yeah and you see you know that big wide shot of the lights going off as people are being shot inside buildings and you see that bit with schindler on the horse looking down realizing that what was a war is now right in front of his face, that people will live and die right in front of him and be shot with no thought. And they're, they're taken out of their homes, their second home after the ghetto and put into concentration camps. And that's what you start to see Ray Fiennes' character become 
almost like he's part army, part general, part factory worker, factory owner. It's like a very mm. strange and he has that huge villa and he sets up this new concentration camp. Schindler gets a deal with him, doesn't he? Because it it does look like the beginning of the end for Oscar Schindler. But he, he gets in and he schmoozes him just like he smoozed everybody else. And they develop a bit of a friendship, which is basically, you let me do what I want to do. He gives him a percentage, doesn't he, of money? Yeah. And it's kind of no questions asked. As long as you're making the money, I don't care how you're making the money. Mm. And... You know, Schindler just moves the operations slightly and they they continue. But it's in this where you really start to see a different relationship grow between Ben Kingsley's character and Oscar Schindler because that, for me, is the film. The film is the story between the Jewish person and the German who are seen as the hunter and the hunted. And that is an unlikely friendship that develops Mm. and it doesn't develop just because of the fact they're making money it develops because of the fact of they like each other they're personal well they i think the point is i suppose what the nazis tried to do was dehumanize the jewish people and what you see is a human relationship between oscar schindler and ben kingsley's character you see humans connecting because what you do notice, what they do very cleverly with Ray Fiennes' character is make him almost pure evil. Like he shoots that woman yeah, uh, who is the engineer. He shoots her because she speaks up, but he still does what she says, but she, he shoots them there and then. And there is this real sense that it's arbitrary. It's, it has no reason to it. He doesn't see them as people. No. Well, I'll shoot you. And he does. And that's what's so, he's so extraordinary at, but it's also so chilling. It's that shock factor, which is why I think it stuck out to me the first time I watched it. And it was like my memory of the film. But his character, like you said, Ben, he is the pinnacle of evil. But he, he, I mean, he, he looks great as well, doesn't he? He put on free stone by just drinking Guinness for that role. Mm. That was his diet that he went on to like, get the body. I did look up a picture of him and they do resemble each other. Quite extraordinary, really. Well, there's a famous picture of the actual man topless on the balcony of a sniper rifle, isn't there? Right. And that's kind of, I think, what that scene was recreating. Apparently he did a lot more that was more horrific. He'd kill up to, like, 50 people a day just for maybe just being in the same presence of him, he would literally just kill him. There'd be no rhyme or reason as to why. Like, I think it did touch upon that throughout the film. But a lot of members who were actually there said that he did it more to the point they there'd just be people hanging wherever you would walk in the ghetto, and he'd have done it. And Spielberg didn't want it to be in the entire film as because... Well, I mean, it'd be unbearable, wouldn't it? I mean, it's bad enough the way it is. There's a moment in the film where Schindler, it almost feels like Schindler has rubbed off on him. He's got that scene, hasn't he, where the lad is trying to clean the bathtub. Yes. And he can't clean it. And he started just to give people a little bit of extra chance. There's a factory worker that he can't shoot because his gun's jammed, so he lets him off. 
Well, I think he lies to him, doesn't he? Oscar Schindler, what he does is he, he knows how evil Amon Goff is. So he comes to him and he says, how do you do it? Why is it that they respect you and they, they think you're the almighty powerful, but they don't fear you or you don't even have to raise a finger? Why do they give you this much respect? And I think he sends him down the river a little bit by him saying, you can just pardon people. That's power by having the ability to kill somebody but not actually do it. And I think he says it in that way so that maybe he he does it. So he tries so it. So he tries it out for half a day, doesn't he? So well, he didn't even try it for half a day, did he? He shot that lad on his way back sort of thing. Yeah. Like, but he lets it, the stable boy go, doesn't he? Who drops his... Um, drops the saddle, Drops yeah. the saddle. He lets him live. And then he goes upstairs... And he can't clean the bath, so he says, I pardon you, and he lets him go. And then he doesn't sit right with him, does he? Like, he loses interest, he gets bored of letting people live. Mm. So he just kills him. I suppose that, um, I think that's the thing that is quite extraordinary about the film, is Spielberg is telling the story of these characters. The guy is purely evil, but he's got to, in some way, keep you able to watch the film and believe there could be a relationship between Schindler and him. I mean, how the hell do you do that in a film? Without making Rafe Fine's character too nice and you have sympathy, but also enough to be able to keep the film going, to believe Schindler and this character would do business and have some form of, some form of relationship. It's a very delicate balance. Mm. The whole film kind of goes in... A bizarre triangle. So Schindler is the middleman and you've got Stern and then you've got Voldemort and they just, the way it all goes through Schindler and there's that moment where he realises what he's doing, Schindler, because the person comes to him and says, can you can you get these two people in your factory? I've heard that your factory is a, like a free passage, a, a way to live. And he realises then that Stern is saying things that could like endanger him and put everything at risk. And that scene where he goes to be nasty to him and he can't because there's more to it now than a business and a relationship. Like I don't think, I suppose, at the start that Schindler doesn't have the sense of life or death. He's not living in that place himself. No. But other people all are, like the guy with the one arm goes to him mm. to thank him for working there and employing him for keeping him alive. And Schindler doesn't see that. He just sees, well, you work in a factory and I'm making money. And as it goes on, he realises it's life and death. I think he realises he has the ability to keep people alive. Yeah. And whereas before he didn't. And I think Spielberg sort of tries to tell us that with the girl in the red coat. Because yeah. that's what he sees when he's on the horse. And I think that's the first time he sees, oh my God, they are murdering these human beings. Yeah, And he sees that he, he's in a position where he can literally save lives like that by saying, they're now in my factory. I've saved your life. Otherwise, you would be shot in the face or you would be gassed or you would be hung. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's when his character starts to realise and change after that night, that liquidation of the of the ghetto. Could any other director have told 
this story. Well, Spielberg didn't want it. He first got the rights for the um, the film in the 80s, and um, he didn't want to direct it because he didn't think he'd be able to direct it. He wanted to give it to somebody else. Scorsese, I think, was going to do it. Yes, and, and then Polanski. Polanski didn't want to yeah. do it because it was too close to home. Uh, his mother was murdered at Auschwitz, so he refused it. Of course, he would later go on and do The Pianist, but that's years later. So there were there were a few directors who turned it down and um, eventually produced, certain producers convinced Spielberg that he could do it, but he wanted to wait until he was 10 years older. So that was in 1983, and he wanted to wait until he was 47, I think. And Universal only did the film on the basis of him doing Jurassic Park, didn't they? Well, he said, yes, he would do it if he filmed Jurassic Park first. Because can you imagine directing Schindler's List, Ben, and then going to do Jurassic Park immediately after? But he was doing the effects for Jurassic Park at night. Yeah. While filming Schindler's List. So he was going home after his 12-hour days and working on Jurassic Park, doing the edit. It's extraordinary, really. Some films, you know how I pick films for an escape and a getaway? Mm. That film is a film that stays with you in the moment and it's a film that you kind of have to be in the moment with and that is the purpose. But it can so easily be wrong, whereas it just holds you. But obviously I know it has such a powerful story behind it but the way it's filmed the way it's acted and you know how smooth it is it it has just got something about it that makes it it lingers with you doesn't it it's not it's not an easy watch well i suppose that's why it's so famous yeah yeah that's why it's such probably one of the greatest films i mean it's an extraordinary film how the cinematography, the characterization, but also the story he's trying to tell. It's an enormous story to tell. He had no storyboard for it, Ben Spielberg. Oh, didn't he? He just used to stand with the camera, they'd go through the scripts, and then they'd just work out how they were going to film it. Most of it's all handheld, because he did want that feel, like you mentioned, of it being a documentary. He went, we'll just direct it sort of day to day. Out of interest... Mm. Why have you picked this film for me to watch now? Well, it's just, a, it's, I mean, it's a big one, isn't it? It's a big one, big subject, uh, the Holocaust. And we are educating at the end of the day. Yeah. I think it's a film you have to see. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a film that has to be watched. And I think it was probably time in series three, probably you were ready to, I think if you'd pick this in series one, it would be, trickier but already now in series three you're you know you've got other films that have been of a longer length or as heavyweight but now you're looking at i suppose the skill in that film at it being 315 what it tells the characterization the story you're spotting things now after you know so many episodes that you're thinking oh okay that's a choice that camera that look the black and white is a choice Mm. these characters the way he's depicting them is a choice. You're seeing more about how a film is made. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it, this is hard to say because I don't know what is right to say, I don't know what is wrong to say, but I really enjoyed watching the film. Mm. Is that because I was entertained or is that because 
I, I, it's it's hard, isn't it? I don't think it's enter- I don't think it's necessarily entertaining. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, that it, that's the thing. It's not because you can't quite believe it happened. It yeah, happened. And I went to Auschwitz. Actually, me and Jack made a film about his mum found out that I was Jewish, and my family had changed their name. And then me and Jack made a film about someone changing their passport. And then I made another film about the guy. You know the guy when Oscar Schindler, that so they get sent off to Auschwitz. He said he he can save some of them. He can save. He makes the list Schindler's list to save them, and writes down all the names and all the money he's had. Pays for each person, buys their lives, and then the men go to Czechoslovakia, don't they? Back to where Schindler was from, and the women get sent to Auschwitz. And there's a soldier, he says, the women have gone to the wrong place. There's a soldier he's sitting down with and he bribes him. Yep, with the diamonds. With the diamonds. Now, that's Rudolf Hoos. Now, I made a film about him because he had a barber, the same barber for four and a half years, and they never talked. Now, when you go to Auschwitz and you find out what that man did and how they ran it, it's extraordinary. You know the bit where they have the... They've got all the bodies and it's all ash. They had no place to put the ash from the bodies. They couldn't get rid of the ash. It was like a factory for exterminating Jews. The sheer scale of it is what is so frightening in how they set that up. Uh, and Host actually got hanged, a bit like Ralph Fiennes' character at the end. He got hanged. But you go to the two, there's two Auschwitz. And you go and you see a gas chamber. And then he had a villa right next to Auschwitz as well. This huge house. It's quite extraordinary. But when you're there, it, it, it it's mind-blowing. It's like sit, standing in a... And there's no sound and there's no birds. And you're right by the train track when they came in. And I think the film is telling you, you've got to witness this. It's got to stay alive. The story has to stay alive. You have to understand what was done. That's what Spielberg said in his Oscar speech, wasn't it? He said, this this is a major part of history. Yeah. And do not let it be history that's forgotten. Teach it, educate yourselves. And I imagine when he was making the film, it is an education. That That is what that film is. And it's used in educational ways, i.e. I watched it in school. But it's so on the borderline of, making you feel like you can see what's going on, but also you feel so far away from that because it's so horrific and it's so tragic. But then at the same time, the film makes you feel like you're you're in the midst of that destruction. Um, Spielberg did play with the idea of having real uh, German and Polish actors uh, speaking their native language and having subtitles but then he did feel like for american audiences and and you know english speaking audiences it would give them an excuse to look away and um, just read the subtitles for the uh, film because what's interesting is when you go to auschwitz you see the pots and pans they took with them you see the hair you see the teeth which he shows mm. uh, it's quite extraordinary what he gets into the film how he does that. They gave him permission to film at Auschwitz, but he declined saying um, he thought it'd be 
disrespectful to film a film. Because when you go round, they when you you're taken round, you don't just walk round. You're taken round by someone to tour. It's going to tell you. I mean, specifically, and I get this. You you've got to you've got to see all of it and understand all of it mm. and what happened. And the first thing she said to us was, "You have to engage with this and remember what I'm telling you." And it's important to tell people. It's not just a tour walking round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important to know what was done here. And you must remember that. It's chilling. It is chilling. Long time ago in another life, I was fortunate to interview um, one of the Holocaust survivors who was an Auschwitz survivor as well. Um, I think she was about 101 when I got to interview her. But um, one of the questions that she had to answer was um, someone who was my age who'd been to Auschwitz and he said that it was the first thing ever that made him realise that evil existed because he said that you could feel it. Oh, when you go, there are certain things they tell you and there's certain things they show you which aren't touched in the film, which are so extraordinary but it's not it's not that it's not that film though is it but he does show he very cleverly gets in because someone i remember someone saying well why wouldn't you try and escape and you and he puts bits inside the film the re, you remember when a chicken goes missing yeah and they say who is it and they start shooting and then the boy says it was him yeah well when they were in the camps in Auschwitz, if something went missing or something was stolen or someone tried to escape, they just shot yeah. 10 random people. Yeah. And it stopped it. And he does show them going off uh, to get gassed. And in that extraordinary scene when they're below the showers and they're waiting to see whether they're going to be gassed or the water comes out. Yeah. Because what I didn't realise is when you go in, the train goes in and then some are taken, were taken straight away. They, they hadn't. They just get straight off, and straight away they're exterminated. And the others go off to work. But he gets it in, but still maintains this story of Schindler and all this going on. I mean, it's it's highly skilled because it could have gone the other way. You could have gone, and you're like, well, we're too far in that. But he he balances these mm. characters, doesn't he? Yeah, it is an incredible film because you know that that's what it is it, it's a film it's an education it's it, it really just does something that i don't think i've seen before in films i don't know what i could even try and relate it to and then that fascinating bit towards the end that when schindler has saved all these people that the war is about to end and the hunters become the hunted and it's completely flipped that now he will be the one who's hunted down and the soldiers leave. And Spielberg still maintains and the script still maintains that story that now he's the one who's lost, who's given all his money and he's facing them saying it's over. And the way that Russian soldier sort of comes at the end on the horse and goes, don't go east. There you go. <laughs> you don't, don't go, go don't west. Go they don't like you there. And you're like... So the war's finished, you've got no food, nowhere to no go, possessions, yeah. and nowhere to go, and no one wants you. It's like a lot of them just returned home to, like, their houses, and there's just other people living in them. 
and they killed, I think in Auschwitz, they killed 1.1 million people. Mm. Some days he had a diary and some days he would say how exhausted he was from the work. Because it's just he too saw many. It his work. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary when I've gone and seen it to think, I can see why he waited 10 years. Yeah. One, you don't want to... Get it wrong. Get it wrong. And you want to give it proper justice, don't you? And two, you're thinking, am I good enough? Yeah. Am I good enough to film this? And we're still talking about it. Colson, you're, you weren't even born. And you're watching it and saying, you know, at 22, yeah. how much you got from it. Shall we rate it? Rate it. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'll go first. I first saw this film when I was about 17 quite late actually i remember i got it from hmv three movies for a tenner it was three movies for a tenner it was i got <laughs> hmv we're going back there are we, we H- got is that still open hmv i got i don't know actually his I... logic behind it was to pick the three longest films possible so he got his money's worth i just i, I wanted to get vhs i got no it was dvds i got schindler's list i got rain man and i got giant Oh, great. Those were the three films I got. Anyway, um, yeah, I think Spielberg's done a ridiculous job here, basically, directing this. Uh, It's an insane achievement, what he's done. Uh, The acting from Ray Fiennes, Liam Nielsen and uh, Ben Kingsley, uh, second to none. Uh, The score as well. The music's unbelievable. Yeah, the... The story, the story's mind-boggling. One of the survivors of Sh- on Schindler's List, uh, who was on Schindler's List, he moved to America, and in the early 80s, he ran a luggage store, like uh, selling um, luggage, basically. And everybody who came in who was like a director or a producer or a a writer, some sort of something to do with film, he would try and sit them down and tell them his story, how he was was on Schindler's List and uh, he was a survivor from uh, Krakow, basically. And he would try and speak to everybody. And he spoke to the actual writer of the film, Thomas Keeley, I think he's called. 
And he sat him down for an hour and he told him the story of Schindler's List while he was trying to buy a suitcase on his way home. And that's what made him write the book. It was a book originally called Schindler's Ark. And I think Spielberg read the the book and then acquired to take it for a film. Wow. But yes, uh, I'm going to go 9.2 for me. (laughs) <laughs> what what piss off what point two yeah and i think point I, two i think okay right. where's it lost right point eight because that's nearly one okay that's nearly a nine it's not one of my favorite holocaust movies i think i prefer the pianist the only other one i've seen is boy in striped pajamas yeah i didn't like that but i made me cry i was only about 11 the boy in the striped pajamas is based on that guy from Auschwitz. Yeah, but it's factually incorrect though, isn't it? Oh, that's based on, so he... When I made that, the guy, yeah, that's based on that guy, the boy in Australia. That's his house. That's his house. And when you go to Auschwitz, I said, because I knew I was making this film about him and I said to the girl, where's his house? And she took me around this corner and she went, it's there and it is right next to, like the garden fence is the fence of Auschwitz. And that's where he lives. So he can look over the camp. Anyway, sorry, Jack. Where, where's it lost? It's not yeah, your favourite. It's Yeah, I think it's lost just... Um, I don't know. I think maybe Liam Nielsen could have been a bit better. I don't know why. Wow. I don't know why. I think for me, it's Ray Fiennes and Ben Kingsley that are up there. And I don't know. I, um, but I mean, I'm... I'm Nitpicking. Nitpicking. He's very, very good. Very good, don't get me wrong. But for some reason, I I don't get as emotionally involved with this one as what I do. The Pianist and Saving Private Ryan and those sort of films. That's all. I mean, I do get emotional, don't get me wrong, but not as much. So that's that's where it's lost it slightly. I still think it's an incredible film and everybody's done a really, really good job. So well done. Ben? Oh, I think it's tricky. I think... um, I think... Yeah, I saw this film a long time ago and it really stuck with me. I think it's a different film now I'm older. It's a different film knowing uh, what happened to my family and my family changing their name, their Jewish name and going to Auschwitz and actually seeing it. Um, I think there's two bits in my head here. There's the film and a filmmaker. Spielberg is a filmmaker and the film he's made. Black and white, the look the sound, the story he's told and the subject matter and the performances. For me, it's Ben Kingsley. For me, I think it's an incredibly nuanced performance. And I think Ray Fiennes is very, very good because he doesn't flinch from being that. For me, that scene where he's got the maid at the bottom, it it, it is chilling, is chilling being with this man who will kill you. Eventually, he will kill you. But I think having been and seen that it hit me this time. It definitely did. I think a 10. Yeah, I can't see it any other way. I think it's an extraordinary film. And I think I think very, very few people could have made it to still have those relationships at the end. To still have Liam Neeson breaking down. To still have this feeling of relief as you've gone through the whole of this war. I mean, that's extraordinary filmmaking. And then... The very end where the survivors put the stones onto the grave, he brings you back into the present and back into the now, uh, which, yeah, 10. As soon as I watched it, 
I rated it and I had it in my head all the way through. And sometimes I change my rating during the podcast, but I want to stick with my initial rating. So it's nine. But when you turn around and ask me your next question, which is why is it not a 10? I really don't know. Did you connect with it emotionally? It didn't make me cry, but I completely found I found it horrific and I appreciated the fact that I would never be able to understand what that was or what people had to go through. And I found, I just found it uncomfortable, which I think is... I've not felt that in a film, basically. You know, it's, you know, horrors make you scared. Happy films make you happy. That film made me uncomfortable. It made me ask questions to myself. It really does such a job of such a tragic, horrific story. Make, just what it does to that story, the way it's it a tells film it. with another purpose as well, isn't it? It's a film, but it's also a film that had to be, that has to be seen, that has to be told. It's a story that yeah. had to be told and he wanted to tell it. And it, in terms of what this podcast is and what this podcast was set out to do, it is absolutely that to the book. It's a film that I should have seen. You know, it, it's an education. It's it's a statement piece and it it is it's brilliant in so many ways. Um, so yeah, it, it's nine out of ten for me. Which so that's a big rating. We've got eighteen. We've got twenty eight point two. That's big. Twenty eight point two. It's big. <laughs> 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 I wonder what you're gonna do. Whoa! That point two is gonna live. <laughs> you know when I say it's it's not an easy film to watch. No, it's not. Do you know like how this podcast has almost been quite difficult, difficult to, to listen to. <laughs> yeah. It will, I, I imagine it will be. It's been difficult for us to record, but it is yeah. a subject that is uncomfortable. But it's also, it, it's probably like, he's, he, it's a film that had to be made and it is a film that we should pick and we should talk about, even though it is uncomfortable. Mm. We, we should be talking about these kind of, because that level of filmmaking is extraordinary. It stands up. You know, we talk a lot about on this podcast, don't we? Films not quite standing up or we saw them when we were younger and they didn't quite work now. Film stands up. Mm. That cinematography, the acting, Mm. it still still feels very, very present. And yeah, we've, we've picked it, but we probably did need a few series in to get, probably to let you in there, Colson, to have seen... Probably to get bored to tears by two thousand and one, and then and then come to this film, seeing a bit more of what you know, appreciating that. So we have proved on Sofa Cinema Club that we can do do pretty much every type of film ever. So in true Sofa Cinema Club style, it, it's back to the audience vote. Oh, Oh, fuck it. So, it, 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 it's, what a it's, segue. It's a big jump. It's a big jump. So, semi-finals. Around the World in 80 Days versus Team Wolf. Never seen that. Oh, Team Wolf. Absolute <laughs> banger. I love that. And then the semi-final was Erin Brockvick. What? Erin Brockvick. Brickvick. Erin Brickvick. Erin Orange. Brockovich. 
Erin Britvic, I love Britvic. that. Hello, calling Erin Britvic. I don't know why I keep saying this. Erin Britvic. Oh, she's not turned up. Brokovich versus Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Boom. Banger. The final. Mm. Yes. Went down to the classic that is Team Wolf. Yeah. Versus Erin Brokovich. Brokovich. Yeah, perfect. And the winner Ooh, by a hundred votes um, was the film that I can't say, Aaron Brockovich. Aaron Brockovich. Brockovich. Hello. So good film. I've not got a clue what that is, what it's about. Not a clue. It's good. Film. Good. It's good. Great. Film. Good film. Great film. Good pick. Some good picks there. That's what we're watching next week. I look forward to having an audience member giving us a synopsis. Ah, yes. Good one, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, good, great, mint. So join us next week where we're talking all things Aaron Brockovich. Brick In the meantime, keep in touch with us on social media at Sofa Cinema Club on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, all that's left to say is happy birthday, Jack. Thank you, yes. (laughs) Good night, God bless. Good night, God bless. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.